Welcome to Leadership Secrets, where we explore the key elements of leadership, communications, and teamwork. I'm Barry Moline, and I believe everyone can lead from anywhere in an organization, no matter what their job title may be. Let's learn some leadership secrets together. Today, my guest is Chris Garner, General Manager of the City of Long Beach Water Department. Welcome, Chris. Thank you very much, Barry. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Chris, describe your journey to become the CEO and along the way, try to talk about the sort of the major milestones that that you have seen in leadership. Okay. Um, well, I guess I started uh, right out of college. I got a job with a major bank and uh, uh, rose up fairly quickly in the bank, but I quickly discovered that the wasn't really my calling. And uh, my father gave me some good advice and said, you know, if, if it's not something that you like, the longer you stay there, the more likely you're going to be uh, stuck there. So start looking. And so I was being transferred um, all over Southern California. And I was born and raised in Long Beach. Um, I had just read a book um, on Theodore Roosevelt. And so I thought maybe I should get into public service. And so Having been born and raised in Long Beach, I thought if I worked for the city of Long Beach, I wouldn't be transferred, and it'd be something that I would enjoy. And uh, so I applied with the city of Long Beach, and I was hired in 1984 as an admin analyst, so entry-level analyst. Um, at the time, I was doing property lease management um, for like the convention center in Long Beach and some of the beach properties, and things were going fairly well. And then um, we had a new city manager come on board. And within a month, he had disbanded uh, my department uh, that I worked for. And so as a civil service employee, I was transferred to another uh, department. And that was the natural gas utility. So Long Beach is unique in that we have a municipally owned natural gas utility. And so I knew nothing about natural gas. I was in my mid, late 20s. And um, so I found myself there, uh, fortunately, the natural gas industry was just being deregulated on national level. And so we had some elderly uh, employees or managers at the gas department, and they were not uh, really adaptive uh, with the new world. And so I was able to move up fairly quickly. And so I got involved in the uh, purchasing and trading of natural gas in the new open unregulated market. Um, so I was one of the very first customers of Enron back in those days. And it was fascinating. I was buying about $100 million worth of natural gas um, when a year earlier, I didn't know what natural gas was. And so it was a really, um, I had to learn very quickly uh, the new world. And it was uh, old school. Uh, we didn't have computers in the sense that we have today. So it was done on a handshake over the phone. Um, I'd be buying $10, $20 million worth of natural gas um, just verbally. And uh, it was really sort of the Wild West. So I, I really enjoyed that. And so little by little, I uh, moved up in the organization. And in 19, uh, I believe it was 1997, after about 10 years, I was promoted to the general manager of the uh, natural gas utility. Um, really enjoyed it. It was fascinating. I was doing that for about a year. And then um, the city's public works director retired uh, suddenly. Um, he gave three days notice. I got a call from the city manager, asked me to, when I say ask, he told me to um, become the uh, interim uh, uh, general manager of the public works department. And so 
literally overnight, I became that, um, again, thrown into a new world. Um, and I had to learn very, very fast. I had about, uh, I believe 900 employees working for me, um, in all aspects. We had our, uh, the airport was under me, um, refuse, fleet services, all the streets, sidewalks, everything you can imagine in public works. And, uh, so I did that for about a year and a very, very tough job. Um, very political. Um, everybody had, um, a street or a sidewalk that needed to be fixed. And it certainly was not enough money to go around. Um, but then what happened, I did that. And, uh, the California energy crisis hit in May of 2000. And, um, I was at public works at the time. So I was inundated with work there. So I, that was sort of invisible to me, but then my successor at the gas utility, um, after about, uh, six months of enduring the energy crisis, um, went in and, uh, quit, uh, on the spot. And so I got a phone call from the manager that tomorrow morning, you're back at the gas utility. Long Beach had the highest natural gas bills in the United States at the time. It was a real disaster. And I was told to go back there and fix it. Um, and so, um, came back, came to the department. I'm back. Uh, we got a big problem. We need to fix it. And, uh, it was really an eye-opener. It was a great lesson for me. Um, it was uh, a crisis uh, like I had never been experienced. And uh, it was really, uh, in um, turned out to be an enjoyable experience. I really enjoyed the crisis mode. And uh, we did fix the problem. And uh, I thought we did a, did a very good job. But we got prices back down to very, very quickly. Uh, part of it was the market, but part of it was some actions that we took. Um, but when I came back to the gas utility, I brought with me, uh, per the city manager's instructions, the fleet services, uh, towing operations, which is unique to Long Beach. Um, also the refuse operations, street sweeping, uh, recycling, a uh, 35 meg megawatt uh, waste energy power plant. Um, then eventually um, I also the uh, took over the oil operations in Long Beach. So the city of Long Beach is the trustee for the state of California's uh, oil operations, which are are major in, in the Long Beach area. Um, in a good year when oil prices are around $100 a barrel, we are transferring net profit to the state of California about a half billion dollars in pure net profit cash a year we're transferring to the state of California. So it was a major, major operation. So I, I did that for several years uh, and um, I did that uh, successfully up until about uh, 2000, late 2015. And then the general manager at the uh, water utility in Long Beach uh, retired. And so I was asked by the uh, Board of Water Commissioners if I'd be interested in coming over to run the water utility for Long Beach. And so I'd been at the gas utility for many, many years. And so it was time to move on. And so I, I jumped over to the other side of the fence and uh, became general manager of Long Beach Water. Wow. You know, it's interesting uh, is sometimes when you get asked to fill in for a position somewhere, it's... Uh, you know, can you, can you do this interim job? It's a small job. It's, you know, it's easy just to take this on, you know, on the side and no problem. And in this case, you were, you were brought in to take on major problems. And, you know, you weren't just a utility infielder. It was like, we need a heavy hitter to come in. Did you feel like you were the fixer that you could handle these big issues? You know, I didn't at first. I, 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 <laughs> I thought, what are they thinking, putting me in charge of this? And but little by little, um, 
you learn that you can do it. Uh, you know, hard work and uh, you find out who you can listen to, who you can trust. And then you, uh, part of the, part of the, the uh, secret is making decisions. And the other aspect that I learned that I enjoyed was just the uh, deal making and the negotiations. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to have an idea or a concept. But it's another thing to actually get that uh, finalized and, and make it a, uh, a done deal. And I, I really enjoyed that. Being head of an organization, being the CEO means that you're responsible for a lot of things, which includes your product, your service, your customers, your staff, your community. You know, I call it the, the awesome responsibility of a leader. So how would you describe your awesome responsibility? I, th- I think that's fairly easy in the sense that uh, at the water utility, we're responsible for one of life's basic necessities, uh, pure, clean drinking water. And so it's, it's um, when you say responsibility, uh, we have a half a million people in, in Long Beach. And knowing that the product that we deliver to everyone's homes that they drink, their children drink, their families drink, it has to be safe. And it can't be safe 80% of the time or 90% of the time. It has to be safe and uh, good tasting 100% of the time. So we take that responsibility very, very seriously. Um, we have a great team here at Long Beach Water, and um, we've been doing it for over 100 years. And so we must be doing something right. So you mentioned that you enjoy negotiating. Do you have a philosophy on negotiating, like how you get into a, a, a discussion, understanding the other side, fairness? You know, what, what's your approach to entering into a negotiation? I, I think there's two key things. I think some people uh, miss this. One is figure out going in where you would like to end up and the parameters uh, that would be successful. Be willing to say no and walk away from the deal. If it doesn't turn out to be the deal that is acceptable, walk away from it. The other uh, key factor is you really need to get in the the head of the other person. Know what's important to them. What is it that they're trying to accomplish? What is it that will get them to say yes? And then work backwards and try and figure out where how how you get to that end result that you want. Um, And I've been able to do that. Do you, do you ask them, how do you get that information? Do you get it from that person directly? Some of it's advanced uh, research and some of it is, like I say, just sitting down and talking to them and really listening and reading between the lines and knowing um, what their end game is. Uh, one of the things I learned in buying natural gas is how they made their um, commissions. That's very, very helpful. Um, so I could really judge how a deal was going to go because I could structure it in my mind to make it work for them and uh, get them to say yes. I love that. Yeah, that's interesting. Good advice. When you were a child, what did you want to be when uh, when you grew up? Obviously, your first professional job was in banking, so you weren't thinking about water or gas or public works, but did you have a completely other image of what you'd like to do? Well, um, <laughs> as most, uh, like most, uh, Young boys, I, I wanted to be uh, either on the Lakers or the Dodgers, but uh, that uh, didn't happen. I guess what I wanted to be was uh, someone that worked in an office. I grew up in the days of, I guess I'm showing my age, but the days of my three sons and uh, the Brady Bunch and uh, um, you know things like that, where you saw the uh, man of the house go to the office. And I just thought that was really cool that they went to the office and had a business job. And uh, so that was about it. I I wanted to work in an office. I thought that was cool. Do you feel like there was a moment when you became a leader? I mean, you were thrust into a variety of positions, but still nevertheless, when your comfort level was, 
you know, was like, hey, you know, I, I, I think I can do this. Was there a moment when, when you had that? I think it was when I got uh, thrust back to the gastrolli with the, um, nat- uh, the energy crisis. Before that, certainly I was a leader. I was head of the, the department. I was head of uh, a couple departments. And that was more getting the team to work together and making sure that they could succeed, which is all important. But when I came back with the energy crisis, um, I had to make strong decisions. One of the things that happened was the city manager thought he was helping me, and he set up a, a, a committee of uh, community members to come in and help advise me on how to fix this problem. First thing I did was I told them, I am here to listen to everything that you have to say, and um, I'm more than willing to listen. But at the end of the day, there's no democracy. I'm making the decision, and uh, I will be happy to explain exactly why and how I did it, but uh, it will not be up for a vote. Um, and uh, and that really got their attention, and, and boy, we got things done and uh, got it done correctly. And uh, that really gave me a lot of confidence uh, going forward that I could really uh, make the decisions and uh, get things moving in, in, in the right direction. So that's interesting because um, I would want to, I wonder how you make decisions. Is, is that the process where you bring people together and try to get as, as much input as possible? And then ultimately you make the decision from there? Yes and no. So, so you know, I go back to my career when I uh, got thrust into public works Again, I had no background in public works. Same thing with the gas utility and same thing with the water utility in the sense that I was not a water expert by any stretch of the imagination. But that was really valuable in the sense that our customers are the average Joe at home. And water is not their life. That's not their expertise. Natural gas is not. And so I came to it with the um, approach of how do I make it uh, of a value for that person at home? And so when I was in public works, uh, one of the things they did from a very engineering standpoint, uh, they would fix sidewalks, but they would fix this sidewalk at this house, then go a street over, fix another sidewalk. They didn't fix all the damaged sidewalks on that same block. And um, it was bizarre. The reason (laughs) that I was given for that was I said, well, why did you fix this house and not the house next door? And that, that sidewalk so much worse than this has sidewalk. And the reason they gave was that um, they had been told to fix the small cracks because from a uh, liability standpoint, people don't see the small cracks and they would trip over those. But the big cracks, they would see and would not trip. And so that was their mentality. And so that was the logic. But, you know, the neighbor, the neighborhood was going crazy because we were fixing the small cracks and avoiding um, so just common sense like that. Um, just um, I'm not a I'm not an engineer, so I don't have the technical background. So I have to listen to my experts. Um, but you learn very quickly who you can trust and and who really knows uh, what they're talking about. And that's how I, at least that's how I build my team. And then I take that advice from them, and then we uh, I try and filter it through the average citizen. So how would you describe your leadership philosophy? I was told a long time ago when I, I, I got an MBA when I was uh, um, going to night school when I was at the bank, and uh, I had a professor um, give me advice that uh, you don't hear from uh, the normal uh, HR people, and it was treat your good people good and your bad people bad. And the idea was you have your good employees, 
make them want to come to work, make them really feel valued and so on. Treat them like kings. Your bad employees, do not ignore that. Do not just let them slide for uh, 30 years till they retire. If they're bad employees, treat them like bad employees and uh, and deal with it. And so that's sort of been my philosophy. It hasn't always been supported by <laughs> HRs that I've been working with, but uh, that's, that's the philosophy that I go by. So when you look at employees, what do you think are the skills they need today to be successful and to develop as leaders themselves? You know, one of the things that uh, is the kiss of death for me is if I say about an employee, they're no ball of fire. I want someone that has enthusiasm. I want someone that has um, a willingness to jump in, help in any way possible. I want someone that is a people person that can get along with others. That doesn't mean that they have to be the life of the party. Um, we, We can have great employees that are very, very quiet. They, they get the job done and you can depend upon them. You have other employees that are very vocal, but in a positive way and can lead their, their coworkers. Um, I want someone that can get along with other people. We have so many people, uh, especially in our industry, that are very, very smart technically, but they cannot get along with uh, people outside of their section um, or they won't deal with people outside of their section. You know, you, you can have a uh, engineer that I only talk to engineers. I don't want to talk to the operations folks. And uh, we've really tried to uh, break down those silos here at the Long Beach Water Department. And we've done a good job over the past few years of there used to be really a wall between operations, uh, admin, finance, and engineering. They, they, they just did not talk. And so now uh, we've broken down those silos. And it's I think everybody enjoys that much better. I think we're all headed in the right direction. What was the process for breaking down those silos? Was there something deliberate that you did? I mean, part of it is just personality. You have to put the right people in the right. uh, Part of my job as general manager is evaluating talent and then making the right promotions and putting people in the right places where they can succeed. Um, Part of that is I look at it. Are they going to get along with the others? Are they going to work well with uh, the other sections? And um, little by little, that that changes the culture very, very quickly. And people see that, okay, that's the way to success. That's the way to promotions is to work with the other groups. And and once they do that, and once they see it, I I, I think they really embrace it. And uh, I think they feel like they're uh, a part of the bigger picture. Um, And, you know, in the past, we had people in engineering that they just lived in that world. Now they see that they're part of the operations, part of the ad, the finance, the budget, and so on. It's really made a big difference here at the water department. So I want to ask you about that concept of you know strategy, strategic direction. What do you think is the value of having a strategic direction, and how does that impact employees on a day-to-day basis when they know the strategic direction? I think it helps them buy into the future, helps them buy into the organization. Um, if they feel like they know where we're headed as a team, um, they buy into that. They can help contribute. They feel like they're contributing to a greater good. Um, if they, if you don't set that uh, future direction, um, they're coming into work day to day, and they haven't bought in, and they start looking for other jobs because they have not. They have no ownership of that. But once you install in them, hey, here's where we're going to end up five, 10 years from now. Here's what we're shooting for. And you're part of that process and you're part of that team and you're going to help us get there. They really buy in and it helps them um, become loyal to the organization. And I think, the, you know, it's part of the retention of good talent. Um, you get them to buy in. So thinking back in your career, is there a moment when you 
had like a rookie moment and you, and you were like, yeah, whoa, that didn't turn out well. And you learned a big lesson from it. So back in when the electric industry in California was being deregulated back in the late nineties, uh, um, Long Beach had a unique franchise with Southern California Edison. Um, and we had a franchise that allowed us to actually purchase the electric distribution system from Southern California Edison. And so there was a, uh, a proposed partnership between the city of Long Beach and again, Enron to uh, buy out the uh, electric system in Long Beach. And so it was all hush hush and, and very confidential. And so my job was uh, right before Christmas to spring it upon the uh, um, president of Southern California Edison that, because we're the largest city served by Southern California Edison, that uh, on uh, next Tuesday, this was Friday night at six o'clock, Next Tuesday, we're going to council and we're going to be forming a partnership with Enron to uh, buy um, the uh, electric system. We we're going to, I think, offer about a billion dollars to buy the uh, system. And, um, you know, and I'd, done my, I'd read the franchise and, and certainly we had every legal right to do what we were doing. I mean, it was very clear that we had this right. What I, the rookie aspect of it was, I just didn't understand the politics behind this. And so when that happened, um, the very next day we had a meeting set up between myself, the city manager and uh, Bob Foster, who became the, uh, who was the vice president of Edison at the time. Um, and he came and he then later on, a few years later became the mayor of the city of Long Beach. And so, but that was my first interaction with him. And he came in and he just basically said, um, if you do what you're proposing, we're going to sue you and then we're going to sue you and we're going to sue you and we're going to be in court for 15, 20 years and it's going to cost you millions of dollars. And my Ricky was, my reaction was, well, you can't do that because the lease, the uh, franchise says we can do exactly what we're proposing. And he said, I don't care what that says. We're going to sue you and sue you and sue you. And, uh, and I was taken back like, well, that's not fair. <laughs> you know, and, uh, it was a great learning experience for me. And uh, it just, uh, you know, I, I, again, I was too focused on the language in the franchise and not the real world, the big picture. And it was a good learning experience for me. That, that sounds like an early lesson in negotiation. And you changed your philosophy in negotiating. <laughs> yeah. And we actually, we actually worked on a good deal. We, we did not go through with the, uh, obviously, the buyout. Um, and I, I knew we had very little uh, chance of success for that, but uh, that was a fun process. Um, it was uh, basically me against Southern California Edison, and that was a very interesting uh, process for the next year. But we ended up doing a deal uh, settlement, and uh, I'd say we we over the years we've received probably about seventy five to hundred million dollars out of that uh, those discussions uh, that would not have materialized otherwise. Yeah, that definitely turned out well. So thinking about you personally, what do you do outside of work that helps you clear your mind? You know, I just started playing as pickleball, and uh, that, that's a lot of fun. Um, uh, I'm getting older, so it's, it's uh, you know, I can't do tennis. Or I, I, Last time I played basketball, I tore my uh, uh, tendon, and uh, the pickleball seems to be a pretty easy sport uh, that's uh, active, uh, but not too active. Um, and then uh, beyond that, I, I, I like reading. Uh, it uh, helps clear my mind. So do you have a favorite book? Uh, well, book, movie, podcast, song. I, your sports teams are probably, what'd you say, the Lakers and the Dodgers, but uh, let's start with a book. 
favorite book, um, nonfiction would be uh, probably The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt, which I touched on earlier. I, I really enjoyed that. That was just fascinating. It's him from birth until he uh, actually gets the call that he's becoming president. Uh, president McKinley's been shot. Um, and then uh, non or fiction would be Grapes of Wrath. I love that book. Um, and then the book I'm reading right now, uh, rereading, is uh, Barbarians at the Gate about the uh, uh, R.J. Reynolds uh, Nabisco uh, leverage buyout in the late 80s. And just, again, the negotiations and the and uh, it's just fascinating to me. I, I, I just love reading about all the back back office uh, dealings and negotiations, the personality, how, how those interact. And it's, it's fascinating to me. So how about favorite foods? Uh, favorite foods would be uh, barbecue, uh, Italian, and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. It's always good to have that common denominator to fall back on just in case the good stuff isn't available. <laughs> I, I, I know I know how to make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I don't know how to cook. So you you mentioned some good advice that your dad gave you about enjoying work. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the philosophy of treat your good people good and bad people bad. Any other good advice that you've received in your life? Part of it is uh, be yourself. Um, I remember when I first became general manager, I, I have... Um, a sense of humor. And I really tried to uh, tamper that down and try to be something I wasn't. And uh, that didn't last very long, but uh, um, it, it, it shocked me because I, I, I was being viewed as something that I, I wasn't or someone who I wasn't. And so, you know, I, I tell my kids, you know, just, just be yourself. I mean, certainly within reason, but uh, be yourself. Um, the other thing that uh, um, I think I learned over the years is don't sell yourself short. Um, I know when I became um, general manager, um, I was sitting in um, this department head meeting. So I'm with chief of police, chief of fire and everything and the city manager. And, and I, I, you know, wow, I, I can't believe I'm here because I was probably about 20, 25 years younger than everybody else in the room. And then I read something by um, Bill Bradley, the former New York Knicks basketball player, uh, Rhodes Scholar, who then went, became Senator Bill Bradley. And he said one time that uh, when he became Senator, he was like his first like week or month in the, in the U S Senate, it was like, how the heck did I get here with all these people? I, you know, what am I doing in the U S Senate? This is incredible. He said, after that, after a month, it was like, how the heck did all the rest of these people get here? <laughs> and and you, you realize, you know, you don't sell yourself short. Um, you know, it may take you a while to, to find your niche and, and, uh, your area of expertise, but, uh, um, you find your way. And, uh, you know, as long as you work hard and maintain those personal relationships um, and build upon those, you'll succeed. Yeah, that's great. So uh, for somebody just starting out in their career, coming right out of college, let's say, what advice would you give a young person? Be, be Again, be a ball of fire. Be the one that uh, is noticed for the good things, not because uh, you're being obnoxious, <laughs> but uh, you're the one that volunteers to help help out in any way be flexible um in my career i never thought i'd be in um position you know working for a gas utility um i embraced it and became general manager never thought i'd work for water utility i, I, I jumped over here and became that never thought i'd be in public works you, you never know what life is going to throw you so be flexible keep your eyes and ears open take advantage when the opportunity knocks you know be ready for it uh, prepare yourself for that and take full advantage of it 
Well, you're certainly a great example of somebody who stayed ready and took on a lot of great challenges and and has accomplished a lot. So uh, thank you, Chris. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Good. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. Thanks to Chris Garner for being our guest today. And thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch or if you know someone you think would be a great guest on the show, send me an email at bmolene at cmua.org. And please leave a five-star review, which helps others find their way to Leadership Secrets.